Section 12 of the Roman Empire of the Second Century by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, A.D. 147 to 180, Part 3. But he had little leisure for his grief, and the same year saw him once more on his way northward to guide the plans and share the labours of the war all through his reign that danger lasted nor did he ever shirk the irksome duty but was constantly upon the scene of action and lived henceforth more on the frontier than at rome in default of full details in the ancient writers we may judge how arduous was the struggle by the evidence of the inscriptions of the thirty legions which made up the regular complement of the roman army more than half took part in the marcomannic war and have left repeated tokens of their presence in epitaphs or votive offerings we may find the traces also of the irregular contingents which marched with them to the field from many a far-off province and its fringe of barbarous races and which though variously manned and armed were welded into unity by the stern discipline of rome for she soon learned the lesson since familiar to the world to group distinct nationalities round a common centre by a strong imperial system in which each helped in arms to keep the others down as the war went on the emperor had recourse to far more questionable levies if what we read is true enrolling exiles gladiators and even slaves in two new legions which he brought into the field the work of recruiting went slowly forward and could scarcely supply the constant drain of war the central provinces had long ago wearied of military service since augustus raised his legions on the borderlands and at rome itself no volunteers would answer to the call but the lazy rabble hooted as they saw the gladiators go and said in hot displeasure our gloomy prince would rob us even of our pleasures to make us turn philosophers the pestilence was still abroad and spread its ravages among the ranks clouding with discouragement all their hopes and efforts they showed little courage in the field sometimes they were driven back in panic fear in one such rout the fortress of aquileia had nearly fallen but the bravery of its garrison saved it from disaster to make matters worse the treasury was empty drained perhaps by the charitable outlay for the sufferers by plague and famine the emperor drew upon his privy purse when that too failed he stripped his palaces of their costly furniture put up to auction the art treasures which hadrian's fine taste had gathered in the course of the journeys of a lifetime and sold them all without reserve while for himself he needed little more than the general's tent and the soldier's cloak brighter days set in at last to reward his persevering courage though dangers meantime had thickened in his path the tribes of the rhine and danube had joined hands forgetting for a while their mutual rivalries in the hope of carrying the roman lines in one great simultaneous assault their women were stirred with patriotic ardour and fought and died beside their husbands the rigour of the winter could not check them for in time of frost we read they challenged the legionaries to mortal duel on the ice-bound river where the southerners dismayed at first found a firm footing at the last by standing on their shields 
and closing in a death grapple with the foe in the ranks of rome none showed more resolution than the emperor himself none faced with a calmer or a stouter heart the hardship of the wintry climate the monotony of the life of camps or the horrors of the clash of war at length he was rewarded by seeing the assailants sullenly retire before the firm front of his array and the danubian provinces were left awhile undisturbed not content with resting on his laurels he set forth to chastise the quadi and drive back the hostile tribes yet further from his borders the hard winter had been followed by a hot and parching summer which made the labours of the march exhausting to the troops in the midst of the campaign they were lured into a pass where the natives beset them on all sides worn out by heat and thirst and harassed by continual onsets they were on the point of breaking in disgraceful rout when the scorching sun was covered and the rain burst in torrents from the clouds to cool and refresh the weary combatants the enemy came swarming up once more to the attack but they were met with pelting hail and lightning flashes and driven back in utter consternation to lay down their arms before the imperial forces dion cassius who tells the story in the greatest detail accounts for the marvel by the magic incantations of an egyptian in the army whose potent spells unlocked the windows of heaven and called to the rescue powers unseen and in accordance with the legend we may see in the monumental column which portrays in sculptured forms the military story of this reign a jupiter pluvius of giant stature whose arms and hair seem dripping with the moisture which the romans run to gather while the thunderbolts are falling fast meantime upon the hostile ranks but xiphilinus the christian monk who abridged the historian's tedious chapters taxes his author roundly with inventing a lying tale to support the credit of the heathen gods his pious fancy dwells upon a miracle of grace vouchsafed in answer to the christian prayers of a battalion come from militini in a d one seventy four in the east of asia which was called thenceforth the thundering legion in token of the prodigy wrought by their ministry of intercession the fathers of the church took kindly to the story and pointed the moral with becoming fervour but the twelfth legion which had indeed been sent long since from the siege of jerusalem to melitini to defend the line of the euphrates had borne in earlier days the name not of fulminans indeed but fulminata and so appears on an inscription which was written as early as the time of nero there was now a prospect of at least a breathing space in the long struggle with the races of the north the humbled tribes consented to give back the captives swept away in border forays the human spoil to be surrendered by the quadi reached the tail of fifty thousand and a neighbouring race which had resisted with desperate valour restored we are told twice that number when the war was closed some hordes of the marcomanni consented to abandon their old homes and were quartered in the country near ravenna but before long they tired of the dullness of inglorious peace and took once more to butchery and rapine till italy sadly rued the fatal experiment which future emperors were one day to copy the emperor was still busy with the arrears of work which the war had brought with it in its train when the alarming news arrived that a governor in the east had raised the banner of revolt 
and seemed likely to carry with him the whole province as well as the legions under his command awidius cassius had won distinction in the parthian campaigns and to his skill and energy the successes of war were largely due while the general-in-chief was lounging at ease in the haunts of syrian luxury he had been chosen at the first as a commander of the good old type to tighten the bands of discipline among the dissolute soldiers who were more formidable to quiet citizens than to the foe he soon checked with an unsparing hand the spread of luxury and self-indulgence let them stroll no more at will in the licentious precincts of daphne or in like scenes of riot but kept them to hard fare and steady drill threatening to make them winter in the open field till he had them perfectly in hand before long a new spirit of hardihood and valour spread among the ranks till the army going forward with their leader in the path of glory proved itself worthy of the ancient memories of rome yet Verus eyed with jealousy the talents which eclipsed his own was stung by words or looks of sarcasm which fell sometimes from the hardy soldier or perhaps divined the latent germs of the ambition which was one day to make a rebel of the loyal warrior he warned his brother emperor to be upon his guard and urged him even to dismiss the general from his post before his influence with the army grew too potent the answer of marcus aurelius is recorded and throws an interesting light on his pure unselfish nature i have read he writes the letter in which you give utterance to fears ill becoming an emperor or a government like ours if it is the will of heaven that cassius should mount the throne resistance on our part is idle your own forefather used to say that no prince can kill his own successor if it is not written in the book of destiny that he shall reign disloyal efforts on his part will be followed by his fall why then deprive ourselves on mere suspicion of a good general whose services are needful to the state his death you say would secure the prospects of my children nay but it will be time for the sons of marcus aurelius to die when cassius is able more than they to win the love and further the happiness of our people nor were these mere idle phrases for cassius was retained in command of syria and the border armies and treated with an undiminished confidence which he repaid by quelling a revolt in egypt and by victories in arabia but the man of action seems to have despised the scholar prince as a mere bookworm fitter to take part in verbal quibbles than in cares of state to have thought him too easy-tempered and indulgent to keep strict watch over his servants and check their knavery and greed in a letter to his son-in-law which is still preserved he dwells on such abuses how truly we have no means of knowing marcus is a very worthy man but in his wish to be thought merciful he bears with those of whose character he thinks but ill where is cato the old kensor where are the strict rules of ancient times they are vanished long ago and no one dreams of reviving them again for our prince spends his time in star-gazing in fine talk about the elements and the human soul in questions of justice and of honour but neglects the interests of state meanwhile there is need to draw the sword to prune and lop away with energy before the commonwealth can be put upon its former footing as for the governors of the provinces if governors they can be called who think that offices of state are given them that they may live at ease and make their fortunes 
was not a praetorian prefect only the other day a starveling mendicant rich as he is now let them enjoy their wealth and take their pleasure while they can for if heaven smiles upon my cause they shall fill the treasury with the riches they disgorge it would be hazardous to accept the views of a discontented rival in place of solid evidence upon this subject but it is likely enough that the emperor may have been too tolerant and gentle to repress with needful promptitude the abuses of his servants the machinery of government was perhaps out of gear when the chief who applied the motive force was busy with a great war upon a distant frontier and glad to steal the moments of his leisure from the congenial studies of philosophy certainly if we may trust the stories gleaned by the writers of a later age awidius cassius was not the man to err on the side of sentimental weakness he had gained a name it seems among the soldiers for a severity near akin to cruelty and invented startling forms of punishment for marauders and deserters crucifying some in frightful torments and leaving others hamstrung by the way to be a living warning to the rest he carried the sternness of his discipline so far as to hurry off to execution the officers who had just returned in triumph from a border foray for which he had himself given no sanction but we can put little trust in the talk of the day for few cared to deal tenderly with the memory of an unsuccessful rebel probably it is only such an afterthought of history when we are told that he came of the family of cassius the murderer of the great caesar and like his ancestor he hated the very name of monarchy deploring often that the imperial power could only be assailed by one who must be emperor himself it is idle now upon such evidence as we possess to speculate upon his motives or to say how far his personal ambition was disguised by larger and unselfish aims of marcus aurelius he seldom spoke at least in public save in respectful tones and only appealed to his partisans to rally round him when a false rumour of the prince's death was spread abroad in a d one seventy five the movement was short-lived threatening as was its march at first it spread through syria without let or hindrance and all beyond the taurus was won by the usurper's arms it seemed that there was no time to be lost and the emperor was on his way to face the struggle in which an empire was at stake when the news came that cassius was no more having met an inglorious death by the hands of a petty officer of his own army the victim of revenge more probably than loyal feeling the emperor heard the tidings calmly showed regret at the death of the pretender and would sanction no vindictive measures though faustina whom idle rumour has accused of urging cassius to revolt had written to him before in a tone of passionate resentment praying him not to spare the traitor but to think of the safety of his children he answered her with tenderness chiding her gently for her revengeful language and reminding her that mercy was the blessed prerogative of imperial power he wrote in a like spirit to the senate also to let its members know that he would have no sentence of attainder passed on the wife or children of the fallen leader and no proscription of his partisans for himself he only wished that none had died already to rob him of his privilege of mercy and now he was resolved that in that cause no more blood should flow the senate read his words with gladness were well pleased to drop the veil on the intrigues in which some of their own body were concerned 
and carefully entered on their minutes all the dutiful phrases and ejaculations in which the councillors showed their thankfulness and admiration the letters and dispatches of the rebel which were full probably of fatal evidence against his accomplices in the army or at rome fell into the hands of the governor of syria or some said of the emperor himself but were burnt without delay to relieve the fears of the survivors the people of antioch had sided eagerly with cassius and used their wit in contemptuous jest against their prince moving him to resent their disloyalty by forbidding for a while all public gatherings for business or pleasure soon however he relented and even visited the city when he passed by in his state progress to restore order to the troubled east now for the first time in his career could he set foot in those far-off regions and wander among the memories of ancient peoples before he left rome as it would seem he had the tribunician title conferred on commodus the son who was soon to take his place and then more than a year was spent in the long journey his wife faustina died upon the way AD at a tiny village near the range of taurus which was raised in honour of her to the dignity of a city and a colony for the empress herself the senate passed at his request the solemn vote which raised her to the rank of the immortals and one of the sculptures of his triumphal arch portrayed her as borne aloft to heaven by the guardian arms of fame End of section 12